80. Everybody, welcome to the Wellness at Your Home podcast, uh, sponsored by Orange County Pools and Spas, Wellness New England, and Wellness at Your Home. Again, like always, we are situated in beautiful Beacon, New York, 217 Main Street in Beacon, New York. Anybody ever interested in a sauna, cold plunge, massage chair? Uh, come see Mr. Jack over here. But I'm with my co-host as always, Mr. Jack Baccaro. What's going on, guys? Going Episode on? six, we're here. It's crazy. It is. We got a, co- we got a couple of <clears throat> uh, special, well, one really special guest and then just uh, another guy that's coming to join us today who we absolutely love. We have my general manager, uh, Jim Morse, um, with us today. And uh, also a very good buddy of his, uh, Ken Jansen, who we're really excited to talk about so you know everybody knows our spiel wellness at your home we're always talking about different wellness um type of things whether it's uh, physically um you know mentally uh spiritually we sort of cover it all and with uh ken today who we're going to start getting into this really quick uh 
Ken is a, a really uh, unique individual. I mean, I've just met him. Um, he has a great energy about him. And we're going to talk um, some mental health today. So while we're talking, I want everybody, if you get a chance, to take a look. Um, Ken's website is bipolarexcellence.com. When you get a chance, make sure to uh, check his website out. Again, bipolarexcellence.com. Um, and um, I also want everybody to check out Ken's book. You can get it on Amazon. It takes guts to be me, how an ex-Marine beat, by, beat bipolar, right? Yeah. Correct. Perfect. So we're going to get into a bunch of stuff today. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Benny. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really interesting, I think, um, I think our listeners and uh, are going to uh, learn a lot today. I know Jack wanted to start some things out with you here. Yeah, I figured to kick kick off the tempo of the show, I'd put out some facts that are on the internet. I think you're going to like these. Um, these are all from the NIMH, or National Institute of Mental Health. There's 7 million adults in the U.S. currently who are diagnosed with bipolar. That's from October of uh, 2023. The risk of suicide with bipolar is 15 to 20 times greater once you get diagnosed. The average life expectancy of bipolar is 67. 82.9% uh, of people with bipolar have become to have serious impairment. And my favorite one, which I think you're going to like, is there is no cure for bipolar, <laughs> according to the NIMH. Not so, according to them, nope. Yep. <laughs> so I think that's, this is going to be a good way to start and get your opinion on that. And we're going to dive into your story and how you beat bipolar. Well, so, one, one thing I can tell you is Kenny will have a lot of opinions on that. And he's going to educate us. Yeah, so... Kim, why don't you sort of, you know, let's let's start from the beginning. You're 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 a veteran, right? Um, uh, where did it all start for you with with um, with your with you with your personal um, story with bipolar? All right, and just for clarity's sake, I'm a Gulf War Marine vet. It's important that uh, people know I'm a Marine because we're important. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And quite full of ourselves. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> so true. Uh, bipolar, when I started feeling it, I was in my late 20s. I didn't know what it was. What it was. Um, my life has been extremely varied, so it would be pointless to even develop any of the story up till then, but... I started feeling stressed out by more and more things and the size of the thing that would upset me was getting smaller and smaller and the list of things that would upset me was growing larger and larger and how violently I started dreaming about responding to these things was getting worse and worse. And in the beginning, that's all it was. It was just very intense stress with very dark thoughts about God help anybody that pisses me off today because everything sucks. I ran with that for a while and then I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I went and saw my medical doctor. He gave me a full exam, fuller than the Marine Corps even did. <laughs> so now we're friends. And <laughs> well, after that, absolutely. I was good. He goes, you are absolutely healthy as a bear. You're my healthiest person, uh, uh, patient. He said, I think your problem's between your ears. And he's like, you had a problem with going seeing a psychiatrist. I said, no, man, if you can tell me what this is and make it stop, I don't, I don't care who I got to talk to. So that psychiatrist saw me. He diagnosed me almost instantaneously with classic bipolar. Put me on some kind of meds um, that made me violently suicidal instantly. <clears throat> I called him up. I was like, I'm not going to kill myself, but I want to. What is happening? He said, that's the wrong med for you. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. Stop taking it. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll get you something better. That began the cocktail search. So what happened was I just got, uh, the illness just kept getting stronger. The list of meds they gave me to fight it kept getting longer. And then my physical health started failing from all the meds they were giving me on top of the fight to bipolar. So everything about my world was coming apart, and then the illness started showing its really fun side. It's basically an ever-growing bad acid trip. It, it doesn't make sense. It defies reason. It's, it's very, when it gets to its worst, it's worst. It's, it has a power to it. It has a force. You withstand it. Uh, I could really get into how deep the darkness was, but I, I, 
that be too dark. Whatever you feel the darkest night of your life is, <clears throat> set yourself on fire, put a cattle prod up your butt, jump into a lake and drown on top of it, and then poison yourself. Put all that together and that's bipolar. It, it is, pardon the pun, it is insanely powerful. And I found out later about the, the suicidal, you know, you, you, you can't take it. You can't wake up and keep facing this. It's like, you know, it's like being on fire. You do anything to get out of those flames. So when it got to its worst, I, I had police interactions. I had quit drinking after the Marines for seven years, but no medication was touching the bipolar. So I got back into drinking because drinking makes you not care. And it worked. But then the drinking stuff for why I quit in the first place came back, and it's me, handcuffs, cops, and all, all kinds of madness. Now, just to give some context, uh, Kenny's almost 300 pounds and six foot. <laughs> just <laughs> under six foot now. We're shrinking. We're older, but uh, a very imposing man. So just imagine the police force trying to show up and take care of this guy. Well, and that's what it got to. Um, I remember one time they sent... They sent four cops to my house to get me because I was blowing holes in a wall with my fist. And everybody thought I was beating my wife to death, which I never did anything to my family. It was always the hospital or the house. And anybody that crossed my path, that pissed me off. That wasn't family. And uh, sometimes I'd wake up with my chest all... I was clearly in a fight, but I couldn't remember it. And I was all right. So I, I, I hope I won. But, but I don't <laughs> remember why it happened. But... um. And I'll, and I'll, I'll sidestep. When it got better, when it got better, I went, I, I went on a slight talking circuit. And I went to a, a mandated drug and alcohol course they sent me to before I convinced them that my problem was bipolar. And they, they let me go from the class uh, earlier. But in the class, I gave a talk. This is after I'd, I'd gotten better. And there was a kid in the class. And I'm telling him a story about one of my darkest nights, how I walked into a bar and I sat down and ordered a pitcher, and I was, this, this was pure blackness coming out of, I was looking to murder somebody. I didn't, I was just waiting for the opportunity. And a girl sat down with me, all happy and pert and excited, and she's like, can I sit with you? I'm like, I don't care. And she's like, you wanna know why I'm sitting with you? I'm like, I don't care. And, and, and part of me re recognized she was hot, but I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she said, Right now, there are five guys watching you, waiting for you to detonate, and they don't think they have enough guys, and they are terrified. And I want to sit with the guy that makes five guys feel that way. Um. I feel sort of proud now in retrospect, but back then, I was like, I still didn't care. As I told that story, the kid in the, in the audience explodes. It gave me a heart attack. He's like, that's where I know you from. He said, dude, I was a bartender the night you came in. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Excuse me. And then he was like, <laughs> don't he said, we watched you come in, you sat down and ordered a, a pitcher, and he goes, I turned to my friend and I said, you see that? That is a serial killer. He's gonna sit there until the voice says go, and we are all gonna die. <laughs> Call the cops now. I don't remember what happened that night, but that's, to give you an idea, I, that's what I beat. And it's, and it's really fascinating to sort of hear you recount this and sort of also look back at it with some some humor as well, too. And I think that's important. I'm curious to say, you know, so obviously you said it was your late 20s when you when you really discovered all this and started feeling this. Do you think any of it had to do with your experience being in the military and and what you experienced um, when you served? Yeah, totally. Um, in a general sense, I'm not built for discipline or taking orders from anybody. And so putting me in, in anything like the military was too much. And then the Marine Corps is like one of the most hardcore versions of it, just in a general, just in how we are in general. And then trying to fit that mold, which I never really even bothered trying to fit it. That, that was a problem that just kind of constantly pestered me for five years. I, I ended up, I ended up getting put somewhere, but it took years before I realized I got put somewhere. I was in a shop where guys like me ended up. So we were like a biker gang embedded within the Marine Corps, and everybody was made just with his own special flair. We were a problem, but we were in charge of hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment, and there was nothing written down about how to do it. We just knew it. You got trained by the older guy that left, and then you trained the younger guy that came in. We had leverage. We could do slow down work strikes and stuff within the Marine Corps. There was nothing they could do. But anyway, uh, the Marine Corps stressed me out in general trying to, trying to you know, toe the line as, as they would like. And then there were a couple of events 
One was when the uh, the ship on the way over to the Gulf, we almost sunk. The ship was garbage. They pulled it out of mothballs, as they said, and, and it was retrofitted to carry our gear. Nothing worked. Nothing on the ship worked. Everything was broken. We lost power at the same time. Uh, uh, one, Well, actually, the strongest storm that all the ocean can produce was coming at us. And the captain of the ship, who was a merchant marine, it was a civilian ship, he was hardcore, and he just said, uh, Force 10 storms coming at us. This ship can't take a Force 10 storm with power. We have no power. We were fighting. We were working with the merchant marines trying to get the boilers to come back on. He said, he said with full power, if we hit that storm, we're going to sink. He goes, I'm not even putting out the lifeboats. They'll be shredding five seconds. We're just going down. He goes, those of you helping my men, keep working. The rest of you, get below decks. Don't come up till, for nothing until somebody comes and tells you, I'm going to try to save our lives. Let's hope this court, this storm changes course. That's the only thing that's going to save us. And we caught the edge of it. And it sounded like this ship that had pieces of steel and it's solid like this thick, just screaming and groaning and bombs going off on a rogue wave would hit us. We went through about 16 hours of that. And uh, we lived, obviously, but... I had a feeling that might have lodged somewhere in my head. And then, and then the other thing that happened was that I was in the Gulf War, and we were the number three target. We had over 100 warbirds dropping 19,000 tons of bombs and missiles on Iraq just from our base. We were dropping so much armament. We had to pull guys from other shops to help build the missiles complete, to put them on birds in time to go drop them in Iraq. And one night they got us with scuds. And we, uh, there was an alarm that went off. Anytime a scud went off, anywhere in the theater of war, anywhere, it did not go off the night that it, a scuds came at us. We woke up to explosions. Uh, explosions to, of a size I can't do justice with words. Basically what happened was the Patriot missile battery, we found out later, which was a mile down the road from our base, shot five Patriot missiles which break the sound barrier about yards from the launcher. So there's five sonic booms you wake up to. And then they went up and collided with three incoming scuds. These are 2,000 pound sticks of dynamite hitting each other at hypersonic speeds. Right over our heads, they, it all happened. And they took them all out. But all we woke up to at three in the morning was explosions with no warning. We were dead, we just waited. And one of my friends was a lot like Jim, sitting there laughing outrageously. So I started laughing because, you know, gotta, I got to have my guys back. And I was like, what the hell are we laughing about? He's like, dude, we didn't even see an F in the Rocky, and they already killed us. This is bullshit. <laughs> and we were laughing hysterically because we figured we had three seconds left and we were dust. Wow. I think that might have done something to me as well. <laughs> now, I, I want to just chime in here. <clears throat> I have referred to my friend Ken here for years as the Dos Equis man, the most interesting man in the, on the planet. <laughs> and we would talk at length um, for hours upon hours to the point where sometimes your wife would just kind of like go and lay down and just walk away from us and in the store and everything. And we would talk and have just back and forth stories. And I told him and encouraged him, he needs to share more stuff like this. The the way that you describe not only the the incidents that happened to you, but the flavor in which you put them, just it nobody can help but just stop and listen to you. It, absolutely, one of the most interesting friends in my life. Yeah, it paints for a, years. It paints a it paints a a picture. Um, and like I mentioned to you before, I mean, look, we know there's a a stigma with mental health, um, and it takes people like you to come out here and do what you've been doing for the past, you know, 20 plus 30 years, whatever you've been doing this to let people know that uh, to get, make get people comfortable and to have the conversation about what's going on. Cause there's too many people that suffer silently. Um, so, you know, you're, you're doing a, a great service um, to, to everybody to, to just get the word out and to, to make it so um, simple, but still elegant for people to, to, to understand. And, you know, you are in the mental health field in your sort of what you do on a daily basis, plus with your, your life coaching. I'm curious, um, as somebody who does not uh, know much about it, do you think it's an experience that, that 
again, we talk about experience and how it comes out, but is it something that somebody's born with and maybe it takes an experience to activate it? Or is it anybody at any moment in time can start to suffer? Well, as far as I remember, because I don't study it like I used to, I'm just happy to have beaten it. <laughs> I share with people how I did it. And then, you know, that doesn't mean they will as well. I just share what I learned and, and, and wish them the best. But it's both. Uh, I did learn that there is a gene, who knows what it's called, but sure. there is a gene <clears throat> that can be triggered, which is how genes work. Genes don't run anything. They're just a light switch. Your environment, which means anything you experience, turns them on or off. And you can have the potential for bipolar genetically, but never be bipolar. And then you go through enough stress and trauma, which was most of my life up until almost my 40s, it gets turned on. And now you got to deal with that on top of everything. And then in other cases, um, I do know, like wildly, the candida yeast that we all have in our bodies. We all have this yeast that grows in us, feeds on sugar. If it grows out of control, it can produce the symptoms of bipolar, but you're not truly bipolar. You're poisoned by whatever the yeast puts out. You need to stop eating so much sugar. That's a very rare outside, but just to give you an example, you sure. will be clearly bipolar. I heard another example from one of the companies that helped save my life. They, they, they have research, scientific research. They don't just say things. They can back every claim they make. About a lady that was on meds for decades, and then she got off of them, and then uh, 15... 20 years later, she had some sort of seizure and they couldn't figure out what she was on, but it looked like drug related. They did a blood panel and she was walking around with something like 25% the, the whatever a daily dose of some psych med was that she hadn't taken in 20 years. They find it stores itself in muscle tissue. So everyone's taking these meds, psych meds anyway, and, and at least some, uh, some amount of them. They like to just load up into your muscle tissue, particularly the legs. When I started working with this one co nutritional company to help turn this around, maybe, because I didn't even know, they said, do you, do you work out? I'm like, I love, I love lifting. It's, the only, it's one of the few things that makes me happy. They're like, you're going to want to stop for a minute just for safety's sake, because if you work out hard enough, that's what releases any pockets of meds that are buried in the fibers, and you will become instantly over-medicated. They're like, that's a, not a guarantee. It's just a potential. So they're like, lift gently, easy, lightly until we see where you're at with everything. I, sh I should throw this in too. At the very tail end, when it became clear meds weren't working for me, I'm at the VA, I'm talking to the top doc at the VA. He's the head of all the other docs. And there was like 30 or 40 or 50 of them up there at the time. He said, uh, it's become abundantly clear to me as a doctor and a scientist that meds are not only not helping you, they're making you worse. He goes, we have the data to prove it. And he said, you need something else but I only know psychiatry, so I don't know what it is. So he said, find something. You have my blessing. And then he said, but whatever you find, you have to find it fast because within six months, you're going to be dead by cop. And I said, why dead by cop? We used to just talk this stuff out. And he said, because you don't do anything small. He goes, whatever you do, it's going to make the papers. And they're going to have to put you down to protect themselves. He goes, every time you go off with one of your rage fits, it's taking more and more cops to stop you. And he goes, the only reason they haven't done something worth you is because you're a Marine. And they just respect, they respect that. Half the cops are X something. But he goes, you're, you're too much now. You're going to hurt somebody if not kill them. And, and he said, you've got to figure something out before that happens. That day, I went home. My mind at that point, there was only three things I felt now. I'd been reduced to fear, despair, and rage. Those were the only three things I felt. I knew I was gonna die. That was, that was solid, I knew it, and I didn't want to. I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I didn't, I didn't wanna live either. You, you exist in a purgatory. Living is stupid, but the fear of dying, particularly with bipolar, when you think of the abstract of the unknown, the void, with bipolar powering your thoughts, that, is, that, that would take my breath away with fear. And so you just sit there suffering. As I sat there realizing I was going to die and it was going to be horrible and it was going to shame everyone that loved me, I heard in my head, it was very, very tiny. I almost couldn't hear it. And it was the Marine in me. And all he said was, do something. This is not the way a Marine goes out. Fight. And that was it. That's all I heard. And I said back to him, fine, effort. 
I'll fight. And, and I didn't feel better. In the movies, this would be music and stuff. <laughs> I start dancing, maybe <laughs> nothing was nothing. An intro and her an exit. <laughs> I was sitting in a pile of excrement, just nothing was any better. I just, <laughs> I agreed with that guy, that part of me, that I'm not going to go down without trying something else. I don't know what it would be. And then right after, not <clears throat> pretty, pretty quick after that, a science magazine, Discover Magazine. I used to be into that, just it, my mind was super, super hyperactive. So science, I'm not a science guy, but that, that would give it something to do and it calmed me. And uh, there was an article in it that said, can nutrients heal mental illness, some, something like that. The first thing that occurred to me was this magazine cannot put that on its cover. It was the cover article. They're, they're jeopardizing their entire reputation. So they must have vetted this. That's the first thing that popped into my head. Then when I went in and looked at it, Everything they said about healing the mind was what I already knew about making the body grow from intense labor and, and, and weightlifting, how to heal. I was like, all right, I see where they're coming from with this. And then what these, what these guys found out was people that are bipolar, for some reason, have an unbelievable higher need for many different nutrients. It is staggeringly well beyond the RDA, poisonous to what the RDA would consider. And, and we've got to be loaded down with a lot of stuff mixed with the right ratio and you have a chance at calming this down. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted less. Because this was so bad. I'm like, there's no beating this. I am going to die with this. And uh, amazingly, between that company and a few others and some stuff I learned, I, I healed. Wow. It's amazing. It sort of goes back to what Dr. Rick was saying last week where we talk about America and how he said, okay, we're, what, the 49th or 59th healthiest so, country? Around there, yeah. So I think it's 58th. 50, 58th yeah. uh, healthiest country, but... We consume 93% of the pharmaceuticals Absolutely. out there. So we are um, by far not the healthiest country, but we have the most access, the most drugs, the most the best doctors. But we're, how can we as Americans be consuming 93% of the drugs produced in the, entire, in the entire world? And what you just brought up was interesting because I know... Uh, Jack and I and, and Jim, we're, we really like a, a gentleman by the name of Gary Brecker. And one of his big things is he's talking about, you know, it's not about the medication and the, or, and, and, or the symptoms. Um, it's about finding what nutrients you're lacking mm -hmm. and then feeding your body those nutrients that you're lacking. And then in turn, that's what's going to help you get better is filling in those nutrients. Um, and I'm curious if I cut you off what we were about to say before. I, I apologize. Just, no, it's all good. I was just going to continue your conversation. So you're sitting there. You hear this Marine and you like, come on, let's get your stuff together. Where do, where do you go from there? How does it look? How does your road to recovery, to healing, where does it start? How does it well, look? In the beginning, basically, it was just researching with an open slash broken mind. Uh, another thing that was going on with me that then, at that time, I had lost the sense of time. I didn't know if we just had this talk today five minutes ago, or I was 14. And nothing you could tell me that was rational. Well, if you were 14, you'd have been this small, you were still, none of that mattered. Cause in my head, there was still a chance. Maybe I was 14 when I was on this show. I, I couldn't tell what in time didn't mean anything. I also, I, I remember the one, one clear example. I remember being in my living room and looking down at the floor and I knew it was called the floor and that's all I had. I had no <laughs> idea what the floor's purpose was. I just looked at it like, that's the floor. Hmm. <laughs> nothing else to go with. And, and that frustrated me. And, and what's even more frustrating, there is a piece of you, your witness, you'll hear this from meditation people and, and, and self-healing, your witness, the, per the part of you that's not your ego, not the part that thinks you're your name and you and how you are in the world. It's a separate thing. It watches you doing you. That thing never went away and it was fine. I would hear that part of me screaming at the rest of me as I was screwing something up royally. Why are we doing this? I'd hear that. And I'd feel the calm and the rational part of that witness yelling at the bulk of me that was blowing up my life all over again with whatever I was doing out of my mind. And I couldn't make myself stop. It is a it beyond frustrating disease. But to answer the rest of your question, Jack, research. I just started doing research. And the reason I just said that little bit there was I barely could think mm. but apparently there was enough of my brain left that I could process information enough to at least test an experiment and vet certain things I got ripped off a lot I bought a lot of things and systems and trainings that I think were probably fine just didn't work for where I was at 
And the nutritional part, and I should say the company that that was, they're out of Canada, they're called True Hope. I have a whole, we could do a whole other episode of what I went through with that company. That's really cool. I became friends with them. But again, I was just hoping for a lessening. I didn't think I'd get better. I didn't even dare hope. It was too intense. But I started putting, uh, I did whatever True Hope said. And the first thing they said is, we're going to do this. Um, meds, nutrients. They said, we do this. Because what's going to happen is the nutrients are going to fill the holes that the meds are just coating over. So if you go full force with the nutrients, your meds are now going to be overpotentiated or whatever the word is. That they're going to be, you're going to become, they're going to be overdose levels because you don't need them that strong anymore. So they said, we do a thing where we do down on the one and up on the other. And it's very specific to each person. And it worked. And I think, again, I don't know if this will work for everyone, but I know that company has something in the high 80 percentile range success compared to psych meds. So wow. all you did was go find truehope.com, which please, if you got this problem, I wish, I wish you would. There is a good chance, like I don't know, but there's a good chance that's, that's your best place to start. Then I read a book on uh, that calmed me down. It took four months and I white knuckled it for four months. I had a bottle of Clonopin about that big that I didn't touch. Clonopin was the only thing that sort of tiny bit brought the flames down. And I kept it there like when you're quitting smoking and you leave a pack in the closet but refuse to touch it. <laughs> Emergencies only. And then I refused to touch it. And I my, my panic attacks used to last three and four hours long at full blast with the phone in my hand getting ready to punch 911 when I thought my heart couldn't take another second of it. And, and I just I rode these things out and did what True Hope told me. And uh, about the fourth month, I started feeling better. I just took them on faith. And I trusted their research. It wasn't pure faith. They had proven to me that there's a chance here. And then across the next year, uh, I stabilized. I stabilized to where I wasn't, everything had come way down and I felt better. I still felt uh, panic and, and mania hung in the longest. But then over the next year, they dissipated. And then, you know, the whole rest, the bipolar is a list of symptoms as long. That all went away rather quick. I got it down to just mania and panic. And then they dwindled and got farther apart, less and more infrequent. And then they were gone. And um, as I settled from that, fish oil crossed my path. I read a book about, a, uh, um, about omega-3s and don't remember the title, omega-3 something. I don't know. It's on my, it's on my website. If you sign up to my, my newsletter, you'll, you'll get what, the, what all this is. And what's your newsletter, Ken? I didn't even name it, but it's on my website, <laughs> Just put your email in and get the get just, his just, info. Just sign up and do it, right? Yes. So <laughs> now, yeah. So the uh, the research that the that this this doctor Locke wrote in that book blew my mind. This this doctor has a list of accolades that would go down to this floor and out your front door. I don't know when she's had time to live, breathe, and eat. She's achieved so many massive positive accomplishments. She's all about fighting depression. She actually got on the phone with me one day and talked to me for four hours. It was like Einstein called me. I, I don't know even what, what warranted this, this honor, but I talked to her for four <clears> hours, <throat> and then I was taking her stuff. I don't know if anything, I don't know, I couldn't detect whether that helped or not, but I figured it, it belongs in. Then that was the, I addressed the physical health. That was, I call the hardware. And then one day, about a year and a half in, I was looking in the mirror, and I was like, I think the rest of the problem is you. <laughs> I said that to my reflection. So then I started looking into uh, meditation and I found a meditation from a guy whose pitch was, I meditated four hours a day, 16 and a half years straight without fail. And in, and in the end, the result was, I was an a-hole who picked the wrong women to marry and an alcoholic. <laughs> and he goes, that's not to say I was wrong, but he goes, I was missing something. I was like, it would be like you giving me information. I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> If Absolutely. you came at me with the gentle, with the doctorly, no. As an alcoholic with bad women and I drink, okay, <laughs> talk to me, friend. And Because and, I knew he had figured it out it wouldn't be a company page I was looking at. And um, this gentleman, Bill Harris, he's gone now. He actually got invited to speak at the UN to help countries learn how to, get to, get, uh, to behave well together the way he taught people to behave together. So that was the level that he reached. And his whole thing was, here's a technology so you don't have to fight to meditate. Put the headphones on uh, if, if, you're, um, if you're listening, you're winning, period. If you're listening, you're winning. Any other concern you have is moot. 
I was like, okay, that's a plan I can work with. I threw that in. And then the rest was just personal development stuff that you find uh, with any wellness plan. I kept adding more things to see if I could make this whole system run better and find out why I believe what I believe, why I made any choices I did, what might be fueling it from my youth, the whole the whole picture. How can I move forward? That's how it went. So let me ask you, Ken, uh, a lot of people that suffer from this and a lot of people you know, may, may stumble upon this or be listening that maybe have a similar affliction. We all have people in our life. We all have a support system. We all have a group. I know that you're married. And again, we're personal friends. Um, you know, that's what kind of brought you here and, and gave you this platform. But what was your support structure? Because that's usually important too. But not only just the how you calloused your mind and how tough you are mentally, that that helps also. But what was your support structure for anybody else who's going through it? Well, and then that's one of the things I found that people, unfortunately, might struggle with. A lot of people don't have a support system, and I needed one. There was no way I could have done this without my family. And me, For me, it was basically my family. And um, my dad was the rock that just funded everything and kept the show rolling while my mom acted sort of as my uh, unknowing therapist. My mom and I, we came to call it porch time. I was manic. Uh, more often than not, and I would sit and just word vomit on her for three or four hours straight at high speed, and she would just take it. And over time, what what uh, I, I started getting better, and I told her one day, I was like, "You have been such a big help to me." And she was like, "I didn't do anything." I said, "I said first you were there, you withstood. I don't know. How, I don't even know how you withstood what I was doing to you with that onslaught." But I said. By letting me do the onslaught, I could hear my own thoughts. Now they're not rattling around in my head. I'm listening to my thoughts. Now I can make some sense of them. And the longer I talked, I started figuring out some answers to my problems just that way. And that's one of the cool things I teach people now. You have most of the answers you need already. You just don't know it. You don't know how to go about finding them. You don't recognize them when they're staring you right in the face. I like leading people to these things now because to, to pivot to the, to the present, that's the cool thing I learned. Uh, uh, bipolar ended up for me being a gift, and that's something I never thought I'd say. And I was, I was telling the guys when I came in, I used to tell people back in the bad old days, if I gave you a million dollars to just be bipolar for five minutes, to feel what I felt in my head for five minutes, a million dollars, you wouldn't last the five minutes. You'd, you'd willingly hand the money back. Please make this stop happening to me. That's how bad it was. So bipolar, what I came to understand across the years was a wake up call for me to change how I was living my life. Cause I was drinking. I did drugs, but they never had me. They were just part of the mix. Drinking was my main problem. I had childhood trauma like most people seem to. The crap that happened to me in the Marines and a lot of my own bad decisions because um, as Jim knows, I got a certain drive, I got a stubbornness. I'll do something wrongly with vigor because <laughs> I'm not quitting. <laughs> Absolutely. Quitters. No just, quitters here. No quitters. <laughs> We're going to F this up with some oomph. <laughs> and and um, I had to undo a lot of my own stuff that had nothing to do with anybody else or even if it was stuff that happened in my youth. There comes a point when you're an adult and you can't blame anybody. You just got to deal with what you got. And that's one of the things I like telling people is you've got to become aware that your whole life is your fault, which means you are completely empowered to do something about it rather than hoping someone will come save you. You will get help. There will be people that come and do things that save you, but only because you reach out for that help. And you've got to know to do that. And if the help isn't working, like what happened with me with doctors, you've, you've got to find another way. Luckily for me, my doctor demanded it, and I needed him with his lab coat to give me permission to try something else because I trusted him. I liked him. And when he said, go find something else, I did. I didn't know that I would, but bipolar basically was the, the, the worst, most grotesque wake-up call a person could ever have happened to them, and it ended up changing my life for the better. And then it gave me, I think when you fall to the bottom of something like that, it makes you, you become more, you have more empathy, more caring, you're more open-minded. You realize that some people, when they're doing something that might upset you, they could be what I was. And I will, I'll even look for those signs, like they could be having one of the worst days of their life, not to judge people so quick. 
it, 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 it kind of opens your mind to just what reality really is. It's not what we think it is, our judgments and our opinions and beliefs. It's usually not even close to what we think it is. So true. And it gets interesting. It gets interesting when you see life that way. I was telling you guys when I came in too. I think it turned me into a beacon of some sort. People start coming up to me and just talking to me out of the blue. And sometimes it's unbelievably personal stuff that you wouldn't want public. And they just met me. And I'm always like, well, I cannot believe you just said that, but I need to hear how it ends. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's funny. Um, if I'm having my own off day, there's not a lot about me that says, let's hug. <laughs> and people will come up to me. There's, they don't even see that. They just come up and say, can you help me? <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to... <laughs> What you got, buddy? <laughs> we'll talk, and then, and then once I agree to that, it's on, and I'm loving it. Like, all right, all right, yeah, I know something about that. It, it, it's kind of weird. Hmm. Yeah, but sometimes you just need to see where that conversation goes to see exactly what's happening. And the fun is in the journey. Yeah. I've heard a lot of interesting things being in sales for the last 30 years. Probably not as interesting as you, but the, the fun is always in the journey. Now, one of the things that we talked about the other day was the 721 Media Arts Building in Kingston. Now, tell me how that worked into your life. <laughs> well, I went to there, I, uh, this was back in the Yellow Pages days. I, right after I wrote my book, I did a talk somewhere. I think it was on local cable in Kingston. I don't even know if they had that show anymore. Channel 62. Mr. Yeah. Moore, Mrs. Morrison's husband, <laughs> she was like one of my first grade teachers, her husband. He was really cool. Anyway. Yeah, WRZA in, in Kingston, the old uh, TV station there. I did, a, I, did, I did something like this, but about the book, and they, I wanted to put it on my website at the time, and they gave it to me in a format I couldn't, I couldn't reconfigure into something to put on my website. So I, took, I looked up where do you get um, videos reformatted, and it led me to 721. I went in. There was somebody who is a movie, I later learned, he would make a movie, a megalomaniac who did as much unbelievable good for the world as he did extreme evil. And he was listening to me talk to the owner of 721, Jeremy's dad, uh, Henry. The Hank Allen Bogan. The best people. Love Hank. Oh, my God. They're the best people. And we're just talking, and this guy, he sees an opportunity in me, and he gloms onto me. And then he was doing something with disabled people, renting space in the building. He wanted me to come with him. Sounded great to me. And that led to this four-year odyssey that all centered around activity in 721. 721 is a hive of media production companies. They, they make movies, they make TV commercials, there's bands in there, there's politicians in there, the oldies radio station is in there, and other things have come and go. Website designers, there's web hosts in there, mm -hmm. um, artists. It's anything you can think of of the creative sort for the most part. And to be in the building, you have to agree to give a little something to the rest of the community so it makes it nice, it's supportive, and we can all make good works together. That's what they did. I became the guy that ran around saying hi to everybody, making friends, and then joining them and helping. I just helped, because I just wanted to be in on it. And it exposed me to a world of, of creativity that I never knew existed. If you were in Kingston and you didn't know this place was there, you don't know it's there. It, you, it's almost invisible. It's this huge building, it's almost invisible. And when I used to walk into those halls, there was like ozone in the hallways. Everybody was in the middle of something cool. And I was privy to most of it, and I was free to just walk in. I, I, I kind of was that way anyway. We just, what are we doing today? There was, um, there was a wild, a wild man, some Italian, John Bongiorno. He's, oh my God. John Bongiorno? There we are. Oh yeah, I, I'm familiar. <laughs> so, real simple, he, he was an independent movie producer yeah. when, when I met him, and I haven't seen him since I left 721 years ago, but he made independent movies. Mm -hmm. And we did a Halloween movie festival that I put together, and he agreed to co-host with me so he could show two of his movies. One was Night of the Living Jew, which was a zombie movie with every Jewish thing in it. It is hilarious. Wow. Then there was another movie called Texas Chainsaw Redemption. And it's about, <laughs> it's basically Leatherface, but he's conflicted. That's how, that is hilarious. <laughs> and we showed those, and we showed a movie that I had to get permission from Zach Galifianakis to show 
some new movie he made, Visioneers, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. And we did a whole thing. I had a friend come in with a chainsaw with no chain in the middle of the massacre movie, just rolling around his head with the... With the... It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and and there, was, uh, there was another company there. They had a portable theater set that took like many man hours to build. They're like, you need a screen for these? Yeah. All right, well, we're going to put the screen up for you. They charged like 10 grand a day or something for that. They just threw it up because they liked me. And, and, and a lot of that stuff happened because I put myself out there and was of all the use I could to everybody there. But it woke me, it woke me up to this thing like, I want to do abnormal stuff for a paycheck. And I want to be with abnormal people. And I mean that in a positive sense. Sure. I cannot stand nine to five. I can't stand being employed. It's the bane of my existence. And I'm almost to where I'm out of it now. But it does not agree with me. And there is no job. There is no job really of any standard sort that will pay me to be me. And my number one mission on life, separate from anyone I'm even helping, is I want to get paid to be me. Mm. And I've been learning things over time now that I'm a coach. You can do that. It's not going to be easy, but it can be done. And if you're like me, I, I can't stand being employed. I, I, I loathe it. I learned to take the word hate out of my language. It's a bad thing to say it with any regularity, but I hate being an employee. <laughs> <laughs> you, you save it for that, uh, that particular uh, circumstance. That. So just so everybody knows that, and again, we briefly touched on it, uh, Ken is a life coach, um, and not specifically dealing with bipolar. No. Um, bipolar is something that you went through that has given you perspective and life experience to then impart and help coach people along the way. So what, what type of people do you um, typically deal, deal with in your life coaching business? Well, in some cases... It's, it's people looking to better, better their careers, and they just want to know how to be more, how to improve, how to, be more, how, be, how to become more valuable, how to find fulfillment, and it's kind of general that way. Uh, there's a lot of creative people that feel like, who's going to take me seriously? And then I'm aware of so much. I'm like, let me tell you who's going to take you serious. I'm, I'll find examples, and I'm like, let's work on... It's, it's who, who must you become, but, the, but that's not even exactly right. You're already perfect. It's you walking into it and embracing it and learning how to wield it like a sword to get done in this life what you need. I wake people up to their potential and what they're already doing right and what they have at, at hand that they're not aware of that they could use to make their lives bigger, have more impact, and share their work. Uh, people will, a lot of people come to me just to talk. They don't have any grand vision at all. They just don't feel heard. And, mm. and this is very, it's been very tricky to pin down for marketing purposes what I am because this is what comes my way. I got something to say to all of them and I, I enjoy all of it. I like, I like helping people, particularly because I was such a destructive force and I was mm. massively destructive and I hurt so many people. And there's a karmic balance sheet that I'm still working on. <laughs> I can't fix things, I can't, whatever, but I, I can do better moving forward. And a lot of people come my way I'm, I'm rough. I have toned myself way down for the purposes of this interview. The normal me is way more savage with a lot more curse words and, and, and just, just out of hand, and I love it. I revel, I revel in it. This guy knows because he's me too, and, and we, we behave so nice for this today. But, um, I'm using all of, all of my good words, and Jack doesn't have to hit that sensor button either. Yeah, we're doing either. good so far. All right. And it's, it's interesting too, and I always like to hear you know, Jack's perspective. I think Jack is in a really unique, unique place in life because you're hearing things and learning things at such a young age. Jack's only 22 years old. And, you know, I sometimes forget that. Um, but, you know, you know, sort of what you've been exposed through through your mom mm -hmm. and sort of what we're exposing ourselves through here, you know, it, it, you're, you're starting at such a, a, a good point and you're learning so much so young where, you know, it took you until you were, what, 40 years old, you said? To, to really... I don't think I grew up till I was somewhere in my early 40s. <laughs> and, and how old are you now, Kenny? 55, so I'm, you know, 15 I've been a years old for a minute now. I'm 15. 15 years old. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I also think, too, like, growing up with my mom, who's like, I'm not taught this in, like, a bad way, but everything that ha I, like, look for the deep meaning and everything so hearing your story and all the destructive stuff that you went through, I feel like now people coming up to you, you know, you said you don't look like a guy that hugs, but people come up to you. Do you think that's like, you know, whether you believe in God or the universe's way of like repaying you for all the work you put in to try to help others now? Is that how you look at it? 
I don't know if it's repaying, but yeah, I got a spiritual side. Um, I'll talk about that with people if they want. I believe in God, but not in any religious sense. I can't tolerate organized religion. You know, that's, again, that's a whole other topic. But I believe there's something, and I believe it's directing things, and I believe I got to honor it. Mm-hmm. And I and I believe it. Uh, I've been clinically dead a handful of times to the point where they've come out and said, sorry, we did all we could. He's gone. And then in the background, I <gasps> I do one of those, and they go run back in. I, I've been in two comas. One was for an afternoon. One was for two weeks. And uh, I'm like, there's just no way. It just it's it's stupefying for me to assume there's not some reason I'm I'm still alive because it's too much. Hmm. And I I've uh, I've almost died just by stupidity more times than I can count. Being being on country roads in the Marines at two in the morning in South Carolina, no light, eighty miles an hour down a swamp road that's straight for now. Don't know when it's gonna turn. And the guys in the other car who are heading to the beach with us, they ran out of beer. I'm coming over with more beer to help you. Keep the wheels straight. <laughs> Climb out the back door, jump into the bed of the other truck going 80 miles an hour. I brought beers. Yeah, this was normal. Nothing about that was like standout with, with my friends and I. And there's just no way, there's no way I survived me without meaning having to do something with it. One of the things that Kenny and I have described ourselves as is we, we find calm in the chaos. Chaos doesn't bother us. That's where we, we literally need all of that to just feel calm. So I've learned to deal with that myself, and not to the, any extent that, that Kenny had and what, what he went through, but when you, when you have a lot of things that happen, and, and we'll call it life experience, when you have situations in your life that you have to face, because you can either run away with them, from them or deal with them. When you stay and deal with them, you learn how to deal with so much more than just the issue that you're facing. You learn to deal with so many more things because it's applicable. And if you can get through this and come out on the other side of it, you know, a little grayer, a little wiser, a little bigger, not as big as this guy, <laughs> but, you know, you, you bring that life experience to other things. And that's a lot of what Ken does. His experience has given him the ability to onboard so much information and all of the chaos and the, and the verbal diarrhea that people, you know, spit upon you and then find the, the genius, find the diamond and all of that. And then, you know, kind of harness that because a lot of people have ideas. It's just being able to, like, as you say, word vomit, and then being able to pull out of that. Where's the workable situation? What's the, what's the genius in that? And I think that's, again, life experience and just being able to deal with all of your own stuff and then come out on the other side of it. You can listen, interpret, and then come out of it and help people find what they need to. I don't know if that's a good assessment. That's bang on how I feel about myself. Well said. Thanks, oh, thank you. He <laughs> <laughs> saw it here first. So, so for you two, you would say it's more successful to find calm in the chaos than it would be to remove yourself from the chaos completely. Well, I don't prefer chaos as I get older. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite introverted. I prefer to be completely alone. I'm never lonely. I'm at peace. I like solitude. But I'm loud, mm. and and a lot, and so I got I try to use that strategically. But there was another interesting thing I learned about bipolar people. Um, a higher percentage of us, what 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 the general population calls normal is below normal for us. It's painful. We're enduring what makes everybody else happy. Uh, where everyone else is calm and and uh, what's the word? Um, not com- not complacent. They're they're. Mundane. Every, everything's working. <laughs> everything's working. They they they're comfortable with what it is. We're waiting for when things get good, and it's never going to get good because we have a definition of good that's firefighter, biker, gang, MMA fighter, power lifter. We have a different level of our normal, and if we don't reach it, it causes us pain. And if we can't find it, we're going to go out and make some so that now we have it to react to. Mm. I had to learn that later. That's what I did for years, but I didn't know it was a plan that I was subconsciously. If there's, if there's not a fire to put out, I'm going to go set something on fire so I got something to do. And, and, <laughs> and I'll bring the marshmallows. <laughs> you're right. I'll go look for company. I said, dumbest thing you ever said. Let's get right to it. That's how we are. It's like, there's no way that'll work. Let's Absolutely. <laughs> now, if, if to sort of, if somebody is if if somebody currently watching this or will watch this in the next couple of weeks as we as we put it out there if somebody's currently suffering mm-hmm. where you were 
what do they need to do? What should be that? What should be that that first step for them? For somebody watching right now who's struggled with this, is too afraid to say anything and felt the way you felt on your on your worst days. What advice can you give them at this moment in time to start the process? Well, I, I say one for one thing: as impossible as it might seem. Everybody thought I was going to die in jail. I thought I was going to die in jail. And I've literally been clinically dead from everything that was attached to bipolar. So I'm still here. There's hope. You're going to be told you're going to live with this forever. You might have to, but that's because of a lot of variables that maybe you don't have to have to, but there's not things in place for you to do something about it the way I did to, to fix it. So I just want people to know there is hope. This doesn't have to be a forever thing. For many people, thousands that I know of, this is not forever. And they, some of them were far worse than I was. And the, the best thing, of course, go to my site and, and, and sign up so that because I give you my whole course for free. I give it away for free. Then, and that's kind of how I balance out my karma. And then the other thing is I tell people the only thing that I know that works better than anything else that is an immediate action step is to call the company True Hope and their website's truehope.com. They turned the tide 85% of the way so that I could enact all the rest of the pieces of my system. I didn't do anything in the beginning except what they told me. That was the entire plan. And for four months, I didn't even, couldn't even tell it was working. I just decided, I knew in my head, the bridges had been burned. The ships had been sunk. There was no fleeing the new land I was in. There was only forward. It was terrifying. I had no safety net. I didn't know if I was on the right track. You're supposedly not able to do what I was trying to do. It was absolutely terrifying, and I was all alone. I just trusted True Hope, and it worked. I don't know if it'll work that well for anybody else, but I know it's the most direct, tangible thing I can recommend to do. That is an action step that can happen today. Oh, that's that's really good advice. And I think before we sort of tie everything up, I think somebody had a question um, if you want to ask if it's something he can. Yep, we got on. a question from Dan. I'm curious about Ken's opinion of the following topic. The negative side effects of common antipsychotic meds like Seroquel, Lithium, Risperdal, as well as using SSRIs and benzodiapines. Benzodiazepines. They, they want to know my opinion about the negative side effects? Yes. Um, well, I know I hated them all because I had all kinds of side effects. And, and as I've said, meds simply didn't work for me. In a way, that was a gift because it, it got them out of the way eventually as a non-answer, which helped me find the answer. The meds, again, like there's not a gland in your body that's running low on lithium. <laughs> we need you. Well, clearly your lithium levels are low because you're psychotic. Here's some lithium for your lithium pocket to the right of your pancreas. No. There's nothing in you that needs lithium. There is a lack, but it's to be found in whole foods. And then if you're in, if you're deep into the in illness, you need, you're not even going to get it from home. It's like a bodybuilder. They can't eat their way to, to massiveness. You got to throw in supplements and, and, and protein drinks, and you, you got to take shortcuts to really jam it in there. True hope is is the shortcut. It's it's they they address. The best way I put this is when your car engine light comes on. Medication is like taking black tape and putting it over the red warning light and then going like that fix. And then you keep going and while your engine gets hotter and hotter and hotter. I'm not telling people to stop taking meds. I need to make that clear so I don't get sued. I'm just saying they're not, they're not the be all end all. They're not a long-term solution that's good. And they're not even addressing the problem, but they do help you cope if you're not in a position to take advantage of something like what I've been talking about, or you don't have the support, there's benefit in meds and just keeping the act together until you're in a place where you can try some other plan. So kind of filing off the rough edges so that you, you don't either peak or just or kind just of do spin. something insane or yeah. just fall into a suicidal depression. It, it, it keeps you going. But, but I would do that with the intention of trying to find a better way. There's other people doing stuff different than what I'm doing that have beaten this illness. I'm not the only game in town. I thought I was because it was so important 20 years ago. <laughs> I was like, you can't beat this. I beat it. I have the answer and I am the way. That was a mistake. <laughs> well, it, you know, the, one of the things... Uh, it's a way. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes sayings and, I, and I'm, everybody here knows gymisms. Like oh, absolutely. Come yeah, come on. I live by these things. They run my life. So when you, when you fail to eat your food as your medicine, you're going to end up taking your medicine as... 
All right, everybody. Here we are yet again. We go over an hour and we um, get cut off by Facebook. Um, again, we'll figure this out. We're trying to keep everything to an hour. But again, I didn't want to end with a complete no explanation on anything. So really quick, I want to make sure everybody goes to BipolarExcellence.com. Please subscribe to Ken's newsletter. And also, if, you're, if, you, if you want some life advice, you need some coaching, um, I highly recommend Ken. I think it's, um, I think, uh, you know, if you're at a point in your life where you want to talk to somebody, somebody with his life experience and what he went through um, can give you some good perspective. And I'm huge on perspective. I mean, perspective is, is everything, really. Um, he also talked about his 28-day course, his free 28-day course. Doesn't cost you any money. It's called You Do You. You can get it right on the website. Explains how you can increase your overall wellness and build something great while remaining true to your core self. Come on, that's a no-brainer. Hop on his website, sign up uh, for his newsletter, and if you're uh, in the market for uh, to, to ha have a life coach, please give an opportunity to, to, to help you out. Um, Ken, Jim, do you guys have anything to say? To so when we got cut off, it ended on Snickers, much like every night of my life is a Snickers <laughs> or a Reese's. But basically what I was saying is um, if the only problem that you have is a nail, then all you need is a hammer. There's not one solution to any problem. There's not one no. solution to his problem. There's many solutions. So, you know, maybe medicine, and again, not saying that medicine isn't, the, isn't a cure, but there's a lot of different alternatives. Uh, being healthy in your mind, having support, like I talked to Ken about, having people around you that can help you, not just hold your hand, not hug you, but you know, do things to help you get through to the other side of whatever you're dealing with, whether it's bipolar, whether it's depression, whether it's anything. Support system is huge. The people that are in your life matter. The people that are in your life and around you to help you through these things and understand you. Again, you know, Ken uh, alluded to the fact that we've been friends for a very long time and, you know, we could kind of see each other not in darkness, but also in light and the things that, you know, entertained us, you know, for just for shits and giggles, uh, you know, was, you know, above many people's uh, threshold of what fun was. So we understood each other and we've been friends and, you know, and go six months without talking and then pick right up where we left off. But those are the people that you need in your life. So the other thing I want to end this on is if you have people in your life that matter, much like uh, Jack's mom would say, you know, if you have people in, in your life that matter, validate them while they're here, not after they're gone. Validate the people that are in your life. Make them make them know a random text, a random call, a random uh, bump into somebody and spend three hours talking with them, whether it's sitting and having a drink or it's sharing a meal or just sitting in on their porch and talking. Um, at this point, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to turn it back over to Ken. Ken, parting thoughts, gifts, and wisdom. Well, thanks, Jim, for bringing me this opportunity. Uh, this has been fantastic. You guys are great. I love this studio. It's it's my dream studio build that I'm going to be doing soon. But uh, Jim makes some makes some good points about friendship and support. And I'll use this time to just quickly say, uh, Jim might not even realize how much help he was to me when I was coming out of bipolar. He sort of alluded to it just now. I didn't know, I, I lost my personality. I didn't know how to people anymore. I terrified everybody because my face didn't look right and my, my, my body and everything didn't match my emotions. I literally said to him the one day, Ken, you look like you're going to eat me. What's wrong? <laughs> and, and I, in my Am mind, I right? And then in my mind, it's, it's Pollyanna, butterflies, and any, any nice, you know, with, with Bambi. And I'm like, what? Again, I'm terrifying people. I'm having a great day up in here. <laughs> and and, and uh, Jim was enough of a person that we have, we had a younger life that we can't talk about most of it, not publicly. And it was awesome. And we met in our, our 20s. And we worked at a bomb plant. We worked, we met in our 20s, and, and we've been friends ever since, 30-some-odd years now. And when I came out of what I came out of in my late 30s, Jim was one of the few people I could even talk to and, and not feel uncomfortable. And he didn't see what would terrify everyone else around me that I didn't know how to control. I had one other friend like him, Mike Geisman. Mm -hmm. Mike Geisman was a very tender soul, still is. He didn't seem to see the terror either. And between him and you... You're two of the key people that helped me just learn how to talk again to people and, 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 and remember how people interact in a healthy fashion because I had completely lost that ability. So thanks, Jim. Not and thanks, again, thanks for bringing me here with Vinny and Jack and Jen. 
this is, I knew this was going to be awesome, but it's another level of awesome I didn't see coming. Tune into this show. These guys are fantastic. They're on fire. Their dreams are stupendous. They're prepared to do business. They're going to just do better and better and better and bring really cool guests your way. They're going to be nothing but a help. I, I, I see huge things for this room. And, and Ken's next endeavor is take a, go over to him again. Angry Santa, he can come and beat up the kids who, <laughs> who want too many presents. <laughs> yeah, kids want to sit in my lap. Oh, God. We absolutely love it. And, guys, I promise you we are not going to go over an hour next week. We're gonna, we have a timer coming, right, Jack? We do have a timer, but we also, the faster you guys subscribe to our YouTube and get us 50 subscribers, the faster the hour doesn't matter. And we can go three hours, four hours. As long as the episode goes, so make sure you guys subscribe to our YouTube and follow us on Spotify as well. Yes, and we'll go get, get this going. We're going to try again to edit this part into the thing, even if the quality is a little bit better. I think it's important to tie it all together. Thank you so much yet again. Wellnessatyourhome.com. Big shout out to Jen. Jen is the best. Wait, can we see Jen? We never show our producer. Yay. Yay. That's right. Golf clap. Very nice. Wellnessnewengland.com. Orangecountypools.com. Check us out. Thank you, as always, for the support. And uh, thanks again, Ken. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Take care.